We say good morning, church. Great to see you. We are going to be uh, out of Second Corinthians today, chapter one, verses twelve through fourteen. Back a few years ago, there was a this is for a real story. There was an early morning crash of a Brinks armored truck, and of course, you immediately think of money, and you would be right. It's on a Miami highway. And uh, it's, it's a mirror, really, to really what happened there as far as our nation's cultural decline is concerned, our cultural collapse, if I may say that. The driver and the fellow Brinks uh, officer there, they lay bruised uh, on the side of the road, and they were bleeding. And there was a festive atmosphere that broke out there while they had this terrible, awesome wreck and they were just, people were just going crazy because thousands of dollars was just blowing in the breeze. So motorists are stopping in rush hour traffic there in Miami, right there on the highway. They start scooping up cash and taking it as they go to work. And then you have thousands of crisp bills. They're just everywhere. Shiny coins are dropping down from this overpass where they had been right on to a Miami neighborhood. And, and below there, matter of fact, I'm talking about Miami, and uh, you might have heard about this story. No, totally, totally different. Okay. Anyway, there were mother. Actually, there was a mother there with with uh, with some babies that she had, and she grabbed the coins and started stashing it right into the strollers. There was an elderly woman. She came along, just filled a box up that she had. A young schoolgirl dumped her book bag and started putting in all these coins and bills. You can imagine what's going on. And then there were people saying, "Well, you know, you know, really, which is more moral? What, you know, these are poor people, and you know, they can live the rest of their lives in poverty." Or now they might be able to afford an education for their kids. Well, some are doing that. Some are saying, we deserve a little better. And then a, another one who felt a little religious said, well, you know what? The Lord was willing for this to happen. <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of poverty. This is a miracle. Well, police estimated that there were at least 100 people that helped themselves to money during this melee that was going on. You know, a hundred people and more. And they're making off with thousands of dollars. Well, quite a shocking event, right? Well, what happened in Miami was born out of a cultural drift that has had problems here in America for quite some time. And it's talking about absolute right and absolute wrong. And it's drifted and drifted. And you saw when it started happening. And then it became just humongous as what has happened. And when it comes to things like morality, immorality, the codes that people used to have somewhat are now like gone. It's like disappeared. So, you know, you think of all the morality and everything, the character... Ralph Reed said back in the 1990s when there was that 1996 presidential election, it was about the character of the American people. He said it was about the character of that president, right? We know about that character that he had. No, yeah, but it was about the people. Why did they elect 
someone who was in such gross immorality that he was involved with and other things. The Miami incident talks about the character there, I think, that we need to, to consider. There were some heroes on that day. There were people who came forward and actually turned money back in to the authorities. One lady who worked for a minimum wage job came to the police and said, you know, I have children and I need to set an example for them. Hey, you like to hear that story, don't you? There was a Herbert Tarvin, 11 years old. He came forward after his teacher in elementary school lectured students about making right decisions. So he went to the police with 85 cents and turned it in. And he said this, I knew it was wrong to keep anything of that. Think about the people that took off with hundreds of dollars. He told the television reporter that. He says, if, if, I, if I kept it, I knew that it would be wrong. It would be stealing. Pretty high principles there. That's coming from an elementary school kid. There was another guy, a firefighter, Manny Rodriguez. He recovered a bag that was $330,000 in cash. And he summed things up very well. He said people were almost killed in that truck. Bruised and bleeding. He said there are people out there saying, hey, this is a blessing from God. This is a miracle. They're taking this money. He says this wasn't a blessing. This is a test. It's a test to the rich, to the poor, and the middle class. Everybody should have a conscience. Everybody should have a standard. First Timothy chapter four, verse two talks about a conscience here. Starts in verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. It's about apostasy. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Conscience is seared. Calloused. No longer can really feel guilt. People get to that point. That's sad. I think the nation has lost its conscience. I think it's gone. I don't think there's any conscience there whatsoever. You're talking about millions of babies being aborted. Millions upon millions. And then also, as of late, the LGBT community and uh, even the, the thought of the, uh, the bathroom situation. As it's escalating. And, and now in Iowa, they're, they're studying and they're checking this out, whether even in a church that you could uh, actually, somebody that claims to be a woman who's a guy can go into a woman's bathroom. They're saying, yeah, they, they can, but there, there's certain stipulations. It's on Sunday. That's what they're arguing. On Sunday worship, that's when that can happen. It's when most people come to the church building, right? Yeah, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready to be underground. 
I'm not trying to overreact. Be ready to go underground, folks. Might sound ridiculous, but it's happening quick. For failing to criminalize a public leader in such a position that she's been, we've seen this week, is a breach of our national security. And even the FBI showed that Hillary Clinton was guilty in what she did. Over 30,000, 33, 34,000 emails were also just lost. And she said, well, that was basically about her daughter's wedding and things like that. How can you have 34,000? I say that for the fact that um, it's amazing. People can lie, get away with everything, even when evidence is massive, it's put before the court. And they don't even get a spanking on the hand. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible situation about the conscience of America. And then you hear about Black Lives Matter. And the thing is, people meet on the street and they cause things to escalate. People get their emotions drummed up and now they're ready to go kill people themselves. Blue Lives Matter, of course that... What's the latest? Every day there are things happening. The Blue Lives Matter, definitely. That's the ones who are in authority. They've been given authority over people and now people are killing them. And it keeps escalating. People shooting police. And I know there have been some wrong cases where police have done things that were just awful atrocities. But I address that because it's right before us. America has lost its conscience. Let's stand. Let's read the Word of God because really, folks, we can't change America by our political stances. We are to tell them when they're wrong. We are to voice that. We are not to be silent. We must be giving the truth out. And that's the whole thing. We have the Gospel. It goes much further than just trying to change the rules. It comes down to wanting people's lives to change. Because this has happened all throughout man's history, these kind of things. We have the Gospel. There are people that are going to be changed. Do you want to be a part of it? God's Gospel needs to be brought forth. And so we look for truth. We look for God to speak to us this morning all across the churches, all throughout America. I'm sure they're talking about Dallas this morning and give the answers. And our answer is basically and simply this. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the answer to these terrible sins. So we're in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 1. Picking it up to verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, And I hope you'll understand until the end 
just as you also partially did understand us that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for teaching us the important idea of the conscience. The doctrine of the conscience that plays such a key role in people's lives and especially Christians. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us and the conscience then with its standard is brought up to the high level that it needs to be. Help us understand Your Word this morning by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. For our proud confidence is in the testimony of our conscience. Now, set this in the context. Book Second Corinthians was written because Paul is being lied about. False accusers, those false apostles, false teachers at work are trying to assault Paul in his way that he dealt with the people. And they were saying that he's not real. These guys really are messengers of Satan in this Corinthian church. And, you know, that church has just been set up. Years have gone, gone by now. Paul is constantly concerned about the church, the churches, because they will have false teachers come in. The world starts shaping the thinking of the church. It's really concerned. And, and now they attack him to make the people think that he is the false apostle. What do you do with that? Whenever you are being lied about, do you just take it and not say anything to the people? They have to know. They have to know. And they don't know his heart. They should, because he brought them the gospel. And so they're trying to replace truth with error. And Satan is always doing that. He attacks the truth. Jesus is the truth, right? And Satan, the best way he can get at it is to bring in false doctrine. And so often it happens and throughout the New Testament people are warned constantly. They are trying to destroy the people's confidence in Paul. That's the, that's the way they're going about it now. How can we keep the truth from getting to the people? And they're not exactly saying that. That's really what they're doing. And if they can demote Paul, that's all I have to do. One guy. Then they can come in and they can take over and espouse their false, terrible doctrine. So they attack his character. They attack who he is. So therefore he brings his conscience dealing with himself. They attack how he dealt with the people, his integrity with them. And then they attacked his teaching or his relationship with God and his understanding with God. That's kind of the three points that we're going to be looking at this morning. A three-point sermon this morning. (laughs) Three points. That can kind of help us formulate this. Paul is settled. He has conscience. He knows truth. He's taught truth. He knows what his motivations are. He has checked it out. He knows full well that he is right with God. 
And, you know, there's, there's nothing here in his life that any blame could be put on him. And Scripture says that to all of us, to be above reproach. In your manner of living, that entails what you do, what you say, how you say it, the kind of words you use, the language. Christians, we, we hear stuff on TV today that wasn't allowed in the movies ten years ago. I'm appalled at you know the, the bombs that are coming out of there blasting us. You don't even have to go to movies. Just regular TV shows, talk shows. It doesn't matter. Language is just blasting, isn't it? Don't pick up on some of those words because all of a sudden some of those words are okay to say. There were words that you never said as a kid, never said as an adult, and now I'm hearing Christians say words I'm going, what are you using that for? Do you know what that is? We have to be careful. Careful with that. Be careful with what you put on Facebook and other places. I, I warn that constantly because there's so many things that come across there. Somebody can be put in Scripture and the next thing they, they borrow stuff from different people or people post on there and boom, they've got these F words down there. And I'm going, what in the world are you trying to represent? Don't let If people come on there and do that, I, I, either I get rid of that, that person immediately. They are defriended. I, I don't want any part of that. I'll make a comment to them too. Maybe in private. But the thing is, our consciences can become so callous that we don't even know that's, a, that's something bad anymore. His conscience was evidence to him. What he was doing was right and it was godly. So he bore witness to himself and then how he worked with others and then his relationship with God. They had nothing to get him on and he puts it in these few short verses here, 12 through 14. So let's get to it. I guess I had two intros today. (laughs) What does conscience mean? What does it mean? What is a biblical understanding of it? Conscience, English, we get our, a lot of our words from Latin, as well as we get a lot of words from Greek. I love them when they come from the Greek. <laughs> they come from the Latin. Okay. What does it mean? It con, conscience, right? Con, science. Science means knowledge. It means with knowledge. It means to know with. To know with. That's you break that those two words down there. It's an inner faculty that knows with our spirit. And it approves what we do or it accuses when we do wrong. And so it approves what we do right, and then it accuses when we do wrong. It's not the law of God. It's not that high. It's not at that high standard of that, but it should be somewhat there, and I'll explain that. It does bear witness to the law, the law of God. It bears witness to that. The conscience has been compared to a clock. And the law of God compared to the sun. So you have the conscience 
clock, the law of God, the sun. The clock is right only when it keeps time with the sun. That's the only way that it can be absolute correct. And so that is the way it is with the conscience. It's a safe guide when it's directed by the commandments of God. F.W. Richardson said that. The Greek word is this, sunadesis, something very close to what we just talked about. It means to know, to know oneself. Do you know yourself? It also means to become one's own witness. In other words, what we're saying, rightly defined, a conscience is the mechanism placed in the heart of man by God for the discernment of good and evil. God placed that there. He gave the conscience. Conscience says that it's a faculty in me. And it attaches itself to the highest that I know. You want your conscience to be at the highest level it can be. A lot of people have a low, low level of their conscience. Not much bothers them. And then they keep getting lower till finally there is no conscience there. It's so seared over. It doesn't matter. There are no wrongs. There are no rights. Do whatever you like. Right? There's nothing over them. So really, it's the eye of the soul. It looks out either toward God or it looks to something that is less than God. Whatever the highest authority is, we as Christians know our highest authority is God and His Word. Therefore, that should make our conscience level go up and up and up as we renew our mind daily. Our conscience gets more attuned to what God's law is, the perfect law. We want to make an effort right here in Grace Community Church. We want to make an effort to keep our consciences so sensitive that we walk without offense. We don't want to bring on things of the world and offend other brothers and sisters in the church in a family, at work, outside the church. We don't want to be an offense. That's, that's the way Paul was. That's why he's using the conscience and about himself first because he's defending what he has taught. It's not about Paul. It's about the Gospel here. And if they get him, then what they're going to do is bring in something that is less than Gospel. They're going to bring in legalism, first of all. Eventually... or you go into antinomianism. What they need is the gospel. So they can't take that truth away. Paul is saying here, my conscience is telling me that what I have done, what I'm thinking on the inside, is absolutely correct. You see, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. And I'm going to come back in a minute, come back to that proud confidence because you've got to be saying, oh, wait a minute, proud, pride. Oh, Paul's back at that again. That's the old Saul, you know. We'll, we'll try to explain that. Um, the conscience. There shouldn't be a debate. 
sometimes there can be a debate. When there's a debate, just quit. You say, I'm not so sure if this is right or wrong. What should you do? Just stop right there and say, okay, I'm not, if it's something you should do or you think you should do, then wait a minute, that's not right. Or is it? D- don't do it. Okay? Okay, that's one's, and, and that's kind of a black and white issue, right? But no, it's kind of gray. It's, I don't know. But then there is the black and white issue. There is really no debate when we know the conscience is speaking. I think of computers, I think of programming. Uh, it must be programmed to respond. A computer can't think on its own, can it? It's not a person, it's not a being. There's incoming information. Computers then program to receive that incoming information. Our conscience, like a computer, needs to be programmed by the... <laughs> no news here, right? The Word of God. Transformed daily. It responds to incoming information based upon the commands that have been programmed in there for it to follow. That's a computer. Programs are there, and so it is to respond to that. So as computers are responders, the conscience is a responder. It responds to certain input the way that it has been instructed to. So when you see some of the things that went on this week, there have been a lot of things, the last few weeks, the last few months, I'm telling you, the last few days, things are happening so quick, rapid fire. And our minds have to be able to take a Christian world view and sum this up. We, ought to should, we should be able to answer those questions about people getting shot, about the things Hillary is doing, or all the way around for that matter, the whole political realm, Right? We ought to be able to respond and say, well, here's what God's Word says. We're we're responders. We've been instructed by the Word of God. If you haven't been instructed, you haven't been in the Word, you haven't been listening to the Word, I will tell you how you're probably going to respond. You're going to respond just like everybody else out there. And there's absolute confusion. And everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an idea. But ultimately, it's right here. It's right here. Conscience. I got this from from, uh, John MacArthur. I think this is a great illustration of this. It's the highest human court of appeal. What do you mean? The highest human court of appeal. There's no court on earth higher than the human court of conscience. What are we talking about? Well, you could take the courts of this city. You could take the court, the Supreme Court in this state, take the Supreme Court and all the land. And they can exonerate somebody, make them be innocent by what they say and have an innocent verdict. But a person who has high standards or some standards, a little bit of standards, he can be indicted by his conscience even though he has been cleared by the highest court of the land. So what's higher than the highest court of the land? It's our conscience. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about God? We'll get there. Yeah, we already know that. Matter of fact, He is the judge of all, but until now, 
the conscience, even when people get off on things that they did, that was definitely makes them guilty. God still has put that mechanism in there. The highest court of appeal. Conscience is not a divine court. Get that right. It is not God Himself. We wait until the presence of God and we know that there will be judgment coming on the unbeliever and then there will be the judgment seat of Christ for the believers. Every man will hear the verdicts then that God has rendered. But in the meantime, on earth, the conscience is our highest court. You ever done something and got away with it? <laughs> sure you have. Could have been arrested, but you didn't you get arrested. Still in the back of your mind, you're going, well, I don't think I'll ever do that again. Thomas Baird wrote a book on conscience. You don't see too many books on the conscience. You ever notice it? You don't hear too many sermons on the conscience. You say, you know, it's interesting. I haven't seen too many. Thomas Baird dealt with several kinds of conscience mentioned in the Word of God. I think Paul uses it 23 times. It, it's all over uh, the New Testament, the conscience is. He says there's the natural conscience out of Romans 2.15. There's a defiled conscience in Titus 1.15. An evil conscience in Hebrews 10.22. A convicting conscience in John 8.9. A purged conscience in Hebrews 9.14. A pacified conscience in Hebrews 10.2. A good conscience in 1 Peter 3.16. An answering conscience in 1 Peter 3.21. A pure conscience in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, a witnessing conscience in Romans 9, 1, and a conscience void of offense in Acts 24. We're going to get to quite a few of those this morning. You say, yeah, wait a minute, can you back that up? By the way, if you ever, if you ever take notes or there's something you want to catch what I said, whether it be something that, hey, maybe I need to be corrected on or something, you know, he said, I, I didn't get that. He spoke too fast and then he moved on. The notes are on the internet, the audio there, and then I'm just reminding you in case you don't know. And all the notes usually are there. Almost everything I've said here, it's not exactly word for word unless I read it off of here, but sometimes I see that. It's close. So if you want to catch things, you know, you know, whatever that be. Do all have a conscience then? Give the address to that. Yeah, that's uh, Grace CC at jcmo.org. And you use that once and then you can put it in your favorites and me pop back up there and boom, you're on. Gives me a break. This is the driest that I can ever be. And I'm here on Sunday morning lately. I can work outside all day Saturday and get really thirsty, but not like this. Do all have a conscience? Does everybody have a conscience? Do unbelievers have a conscience? Does everyone's conscience have the same degree of sensibility? They don't. Everyone in here probably has a different degree of sensitivity. 
I would hope we would be close to the same as we're being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ by His Word. And so therefore, as we grow individually, the church grows together. So if there's somebody not growing in here, the rest of the church, it, it, it holds back in a, in a degree because we're not part of the body. The rest of the body. The whole body of Christ. Can you imagine how what an impact the church would be if it was sold upon the Word of God, believed it, and lived it out? How much of an impact could it make? How do we get a clear conscience anyway? How do we get that? I want a clear conscience. I'm tired of carrying around a guilt all the time. Right? Somebody can say that. Where do we get the answers then? Where's that book out there by Thomas Baird? I haven't read the book. I don't know. I can tell you all of those verses there are pretty good and there, there are more. But we can find the answers we just said. They're in Scripture. You don't have to go get a book. A book can help. It can commentary for you. It can help you understand a little bit better if it's a good book. But there's answers. There's illustrations in Scripture. And we're going to be looking at quite a few of those this morning. God has programmed every man, woman, and child. Programmed their conscience to respond in certain ways to certain data that comes in. God has given that to everybody. Paul put it this way in, in Romans twelve fourteen through 15. And he's dealing with Jews. He's also dealing with Gentiles. It's Romans, Romans 2, 14, 15. Questions are being asked. Paul's answering them. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively, I'm starting in verse 14, the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. So there's Gentiles. That's us. Really, I mean, we're no longer Gentiles. We're, we're in Christ. But I'm saying, we came from a Gentile background. Unless you're Jewish, and I may not be aware of that. But at the same time, he's already told the Jews in verse 12, for all of sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all of sin under the law will be judged by the law. They had the oracles. They had the Word of God. They were held more responsible than anybody. He said, well, the Gentiles then didn't, right? It says, for it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law we justify. He's speaking that to the Jews. It's not the one who hear the Word, but if they don't do it, like James says, you be ye doers of the Word. You're a faith, right? And you're lost in your sins. He condemns all mankind in Romans 1 through 3. Just blast them down. Cuts them down to the floor. There's nothing left. And, and he tells this to the Jew who had the Word. And then we read our verse 14. The Gentiles who didn't have the Word are still held responsible too. You say, yeah, but they didn't hear the Gospel. You know, how can God judge them? They had the law written upon their hearts. It's been given. It's there. Of course, that, when you believe in a sovereign God, then that can go ahead and spill on over and get the total answer. <laughs> right? You get what I'm saying there? God has written a program of a moral code into the heart of every man. And when people's actions contradict the code that has been written on their heart, if it has correct info and it's not seared, it should respond. And the message says, you know, something that is contradictory to the Word, and you say, no. It's clear, right? 
The conscience is something we use every day. All day long, a conscience is there. can be a friend or can be an enemy, can it? Aren't you thankful for the gift of guilt? If we had no guilt, we would not see the need of a Savior. It's a gift in a sense. It's not that, hey, if we can sin, we, all the more we should sin even more. Right? Romans 6 says something like that. No, may it never be. We don't like guilt. We don't like to carry it around. People who are lost have a guilt they can't deal with until Christ comes in. Holy Spirit comes in and changes them. And then starts renewing that conscience. It's hard to carry around guilt. Christians have guilt. Deal with it. Paul says our thoughts defend. And in this case they do. They defend them. Shows the legitimacy of his actions and all that he did. God's laws are written in unbelievers' hearts. The thing is, the standard just keeps going down. Finally, the standard is like all the gone. Unbeliever has a conscience towards God. He knows the difference between good and evil. He knows that. But they try to convince themselves and a lie after a lie after a lie. Finally, what happens? People begin to believe the lie. God says He will send a deluding influence. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They will believe the lie. Why are people believing the exact opposite of everything we stand on? And that includes life itself. And all the freedoms that go with it, they're against them. How can they do that? Conscience has been totally seared. They want to do whatever they can do and not have a conscience that tells them that it's wrong. That's their problem. It keeps telling them that they're wrong. People tell them wrong. They don't want to hear it. So they try to make it be good. So you can't even say a thing about it. I think also in Iowa, getting to a point where if a preacher says anything about homosexuality now, that is against the law. I think they've already arrived at that or they're right there on it. That's what they've been dealing with this week. Iowa, I used to think of that as a, as a farm state. Corn, nothing but farms all over the place and the windmills. You know, or what, are those, what are those white things now called? They, were, they got the blades. What's that? Solar? Yeah, right. Yeah. And you look out there and there's nothing but, you know, just no trees or anything. It's just <laughs> stuff that's been planted. People were real conservative. Whatever. How did that state ever get to be one of one of the leaders of uh, liberalism? How does that happen? High places. The conscience is being deadened. Those people, not having the Word of God, not having the Spirit of God. Everything is translated by what the world says and what it's doing. So now you see people adapting to things they never would have ever even thought of. They would say how evil it was, and that was two years ago. Maybe a year ago. And now I'm seeing those very same people that have bought the lie of the homosexual thing. 
unbelievable. But it is believable. Are there standards of moral purity here? It's it's just about all gone. They're changing and changing rapidly. This is why the Gentiles have a conscience. They know there's a God. Atheists know there's a God. The more you cover it over and have a lie, start to believe it. When you become a Christian, your conscience undergoes such a struggle because now there is all-out warfare and it continues till Christ comes back. We have war all week. The Word of God tries to explain to your conscience what the will of God is. You battle and you struggle. You win a lot of battles. Sometimes you lose. You hate to lose. brings on guilt. You confess your sin. Repent. The world, if we allow it, infiltrates the soul, infiltrates your life, and it'll tell you, don't be carried away with those things that Christians believe in. Don't be carried away with that. There's no absolutes. This is what the world teaches and it enters into the conscience of the unbeliever. So a man is not a man and a female is not a female. And one of these days, if you use the word man or if you use the word woman, I've got a feeling that that will get you put in jail too. I think that's how far it is really trying to go. Where do you think that comes from? Satan who blinds the minds of the unbelievers. Man, he's doing a job, isn't he? With fury. So we have a battle. We have warfare. Keep in tune with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The conscience is not infallible. That's the thing. The conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Not all consciences are good. In fact, because of the fall in Genesis 3, the depraved, it affected every part of the body. That's why they say total depravity. There means every part of you. Not every inch and 100% of you because your mind was affected, but still yet, the mind can be used for good. Every, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, you know, or mental and such, even though it's affected, it can still do some things. But because of the fall, it's depraved. It's defiled. Titus chapter one fifteen says, "The conscience of man suffered terribly in the fall, in the Garden of Eden." Eden. Ephesians four eighteen. It talks about the understanding a man is darkened because of the blindness of their heart. The blindness of their heart that's also found in another passage where Paul talks about Satan blinds the minds of the unbeliever. By the way, that's found in our chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians that we're dealing with. That'll be quite a study where it's talking about the glory of the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. The glory of God. But on the other side, the blinding that comes from Satan.
is like a window. Giving these illustrations to kind of help us get a grasp more on this conscience. This amazing conscience. What a gift God gave us. A window lets in the light. Of course, we would take these shades here and, and, and uh, just pull them on up, whatever. Brings in more light. Window gets shaded or it gets dirty. All of a sudden, the light becomes dimmer, doesn't it? We could totally dim that part out where not too much light is hardly coming in at all. That's what happens to people when their consciences start to become more and more darkened. More and more darkened and calloused to where it's almost dark in the room. You ever watch the evening news? On the evening news is the weather. I like I like to watch the evening news because the weather is there. And of course, they, they show it two or three different times now. And that's probably the biggest reason why people are tuned in on there. They want to hear what's going on there. So when you watch the weather, there's uh, quite a high-priced radar equipment that they use. And, and it gives a picture of the area that lights up that's, you know, it's dark and light of the area that's causing a, a storm. It's a scanner that goes around and, and it lights up the bad weather. You know, and see, that's when the weathermen get real excited. You ever see? Man, they start talking fast. Their voices go up about two or three notches. Man, this is it. I mean, they're loving it. You know, they're taking this in. They're warning people, and then you go, "What's what storm?" You know, it's it's raining out there, and I heard a couple of cracks. You know, thunder, lightning, and. <laughs> what was that? It is nice to know, though. I mean, it's some, sometimes certain things can happen. It does. But they get real excited. They're, storm, they're showing the, the storms, and they can be far away, and then they're trying to show you how fast it's coming and how much rain. It's by this amazing equipment. And they're getting pretty, pretty accurate, you know. So what it does, it just lights it up. It even shows how much rain that will probably be dumped on your area. Pretty close. Your conscience is the radar of your heart. It's, it's your radar. Its purpose is to light up, to expose, to illuminate evil. If you could draw a picture of your heart, your conscience would be the scanner. God places that there. And it's to go back and forth in a sense to expose evil. It's like a scanner. It's exposing evil. You say, well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Yeah. In conjunction with the Holy Spirit, your conscience then is up to that high standard. Look in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. I think it's a great definition here. Just super definition. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Spirit here is the conscience. It's not the Holy Spirit in this sense, even though we know ultimately that, and we'll get to the Holy Spirit in a moment, but this is the conscience. That's usually what in the Old Testament you'll see uh, this word. It's the conscience of man, and and it, it searches everything. Look at this. Spirit of man, the conscience, is a lamp of the Lord searching all the innermost parts of his being. That's what the conscience does. It searches. It scans. And it shows what evil is there in our thinking. 
We may not have committed the act. It's in our thinking. That's what has to be constantly changed. Has everybody got it all together? (laughs) Paul didn't, right? Nobody does. Even as a Christian. You're following the Lord and His Word. At the same time, how so apt we are to wander, as the song says, to sin. Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving that to us or we would remain ever in darkness. The radar on God's screen just scans back and forth, points out our wickedness, our evil, our sin in the heart of a Christian. So we've seen, it's in the unbeliever, it's in the believer. But in the believer, the conscience now becomes something that is very, very helpful with the Holy Spirit working. It's important to have a clear conscience. Do you guys like to have a conscience that you have guilt hanging on? Nobody does. Nobody wants a guilt. It means to have a conscience that is pure. You say, how can I have this? Look in Hebrews 13.18. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a good conscience, designed to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. At the same time, pray for us. Paul is saying, or, or the Hebrew writer here is saying, okay. <laughs> hope that didn't say <laughs> I don't know. We have a good conscience. Pray that we continue to have a good conscience. Paul knew that wherever he went, he was representing not only himself and his family. Did you ever get that? When you were kids, I think I've talked about this before my mom and dad used to say don't forget who you are do you ever get that don't forget who you represent you're representing our family but it goes one step further we're representing this church with what we do and what we say that's how it affects everybody one step higher God we want a good conscience We desire to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. That's why it's so important to have a clear conscience. To see and do the will of God. We can't be perfect in the judging of our own. Acts 23.1 Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 4 says that. You go back to Acts. You look at Paul, and Paul, it's hard to point out any sin on him, even though he would have been the first to admit that he was a sinner, that he was the chief of sinners. Acts 23. Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. He's doing good here. <laughs> Right? He has a good conscience. Does that mean he doesn't sin? He still sins. Still there. He, he battles like everybody else, but he has a good conscience. Every Christian should have a good conscience. He's, here's what it says, though, after this. High priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. 
Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law? Order me to be struck? Paul, uh-oh. But the bystander said, uh, Do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He apologized. Didn't know that. But yet he's, he let emotions go down. He's telling the truth there. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed law, you hypocrite, putting on the, you know, the, the front. Um, Paul just before that had said he had a clear conscience. Well, you know what? If you, if you recognize sin or something that's not right, put it away just like that. Go right to God. In this sense, look what he did. He apologized. He didn't let it linger and go on. He took care of it right there on the spot, didn't he? he said, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. That's basically what he's saying. A clear conscience. Oh, it's so important. Having nothing between us and God. To feel the same way that God feels about sin. That's what confession is. When you see something that's a sin, you didn't know it before, now you found out. Holy Spirit came in there and did a work on you. Now you know it's a sin. So you confess. What you're doing is saying, I agree with you, God, that what I have just done is an affront against your great holiness. I have just, I agree that confess means that to say the same thing I'm saying the same thing as you do about this sin God and I'm wrong I was terrible in my thoughts and in my actions Lord I agree I confess you get a clear conscience when you repent I don't desire to do this God help me out a clear conscience is evidence of a life in harmony with the Holy Spirit the conscience the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. That's the Spirit-filled life. 1 Timothy 1.5 Timothy 1.5 But the goal of our instruction, what's the goal, Paul? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Look at the drive that he has. What's moving him on? Love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A good conscience. Oh, the importance of a good conscience. Are you still in First Timothy? I'm not. I turn back, but in, in that same chapter, chapter 1, verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, shipwrecked. Hymenaeus, Alexander, right? Chapter 3, verse 9, 1 Timothy. He used that word conscience quite frequently. It's Timothy. These, uh, what is that? Here we go. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Clear conscience. That's what we strive after, a clear conscience. A lot of other scriptures there. Spirit of truth takes up residency in our hearts, changes our response. The programming of your conscience changes. You now have a new indwelling. You have an indwelling of God. The life of God in the soul of man. A new nature in Christ 
a new life with new desires, new goals, new aspirations, changes. Drastic change happens at the moment of salvation. If one's a true Christian, that is what happens. You do not want to make sin a practice in your life any longer. You have no desire to do that. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're taught by the Word of God. And you correctly discern and evaluate anything that comes along. Scans over those things. We have to look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ, the eternal Spirit, cleansing our conscience. Wow. Chapter 10, verse 22 of Hebrews. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Salvation, of course, is a constant ongoing thing from the priest. You have to guard your purity. When you do have it, guard it. Watch out. Paul had a proud confidence. What is he saying? That's where I promised I'd say I, I would come back and try to explain that. Second Corinthians 1, right? For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. The proud confidence is that he boasts about the Lord. It's all in his grace. So often he says, I boast of this. I boast of the... It's really the grace of Christ. His work in us. It's never his works. We know that. And so he says, our proud confidence, is, it's in Christ. This testimony of our conscience. And then it says that in holiness and godly sincerity. So our walks are to be holy. And the word there is hagiatis. It means to be set apart. It's dealing with moral purity here. It's a unique word that means sanctity. The idea is moral purity as against the immorality, the impurity, the corruption that came from the ones who were accusing him. So he's turning it back on them, really. He says, I have a clear conscience and I show it in my holiness, my moral purity, and my sincerity. And sincerity is elekrinea. Krinea is dealing with judging. Ella's dealing with the sunlight. It means sunlight to judge. To judge sunlight. What are we saying? In the English, sincere comes from two Latin terms. It means without wax. Take a piece of pottery, and they had potteries all the time. You go to the marketplace. You go into the marketplace, they don't have the lighting that we do. It's rather dim. If you go into a, a darker place, Go in there and you can't really see what's going on, but the guy who made that knows what happened. He has a crack at the bottom. What he did for, that, that wouldn't be seen is that he put wax there. Remember that English word that comes from the Latin without wax? That's how it got there. Sincere. Absolute true. Eloquenia means to be tested by the sun. 
you take that piece of pottery, go outside like on day to day, put it up to the sun. You go, oh, no way I'm buying this. Look, Jim, look at that. You see that crack right there? That wouldn't hold water. This guy's trying to sell this, trying to get it past it. It was no good. The wax, once it heats up, put it out there in the sun long enough, <laughs> and guess what's going to happen? That won't work. Hold up to the light for inspection. He's saying godly sincerity. I'm being held up by the light of God, Paul is saying. You you check it out. They had fill it with wax. Paul could be tested by the sun. He conducted himself in the world. He was not immoral. He was moral. He was pure. He was a godly man. He was a man who lived it, who spoke it, and didn't bring in corrupt language. He was a man who could be taken out in the sunlight and tested. God's Word. Boom. He says, not in fleshly wisdom. I'm not holy. I'm not godly sincere of my own self. He was not induced by his own holiness or some of his own virtue. But in 1 Corinthians 15.10 he says, and this is his testimony, but by the grace of God I am what I am and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Do we all say that? Well, you're a Christian, you definitely say that. There's nothing to brag about in ourselves. And he's saying, this is not in in an earthly, fleshly wisdom. This confidence that I have, it's not from a fleshly wisdom. But it's in the grace of God. So 1 Corinthians 15.10 applies there, right? For we write nothing else to you. And he says, by by the way, going back to verse, verse 13, we conducted ourselves in the world. Remember, he's been talking about how his relationship was with himself, his conscience bearing witness about his thoughts, his actions, his words, whatever, right? Now he says, he takes it to part two. It's about them. The people could stand there and witness about him. By the way, whenever he uses the word testimony, as he has done in in verse 12, it's martyres. It means a uh, testimony or a martyr, one who... Uh, believed in so much what he did, he, he, he became a martyr. That's how that word became about. And so you see the word testimony there. That's what that means. And, and it was a testimony towards them. He never had an ulterior motive to make extra money, to get famous, right? That's what people do. That was not his motive at all. Look in Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. I'll be touching on this one of these days. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. You know that. We were there. You saw us. It was real. Chapter 11, verse 9, 2 Corinthians. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and will continue to do so. He didn't take their money at Corinth. Macedonians, who were very poor, came and brought money to support him. And he says, you can't get me because I was here for money to to take from you. 
They, they couldn't get him on anything. That's the way that we want to be. We don't want the world to get us on that. Um, and then he says that he wrote them words. We write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And the word there is related on, on both those words. It's read and understand. They're forms of gnosko, amplifying gnosko. It means to know. It means to really know, to deeply understand, to deeply read, to deeply understand. He says, I hope you understand completely. As he says right there at the end of verse 13, but we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. It was very clear it was not in the dark. This, you know, Christianity is not a dark religion that, you know, secrets and nobody knows about. And you have to go through stages like Masonic Lodge and they go through their degrees and there's a secret there and nobody's supposed to know unless you go through those and... Anyway, we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. I hope you will understand until, until the end. Even know more. What It was about all the way to the com- completeness, that you'll have complete understanding. Telos is the word there. Just as you partially did understand us, it says in 14, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That I made everything clear. You know that it was clear. It was straightforward. It was consistent. The teaching wasn't something that was underneath something so that they had to spiritually try to understand it. It's, it's clear. The Word of God is clear. There's no ambiguities. And then we get to part three. So he's conscious about himself, conscious about how he was with others, and they all should be able to stand up for him. Because they're saying, yeah, you know what, that's right. I'm glad Paul is defending himself. He's really defending the truth. And then he says, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to have a clear conscience because Christ is coming back. When Christ comes back, we want to be living in the light when the return is there. We don't want to be in some kind of sin and some kind of guilt when Christ comes. We don't want to be caught at that time. We don't want to be caught ever, really. Paul is anticipating the coming of Christ. What a great motivation. Christ is coming back. He knew his attitude, his heart was right. He knew that his conscience was clear with the Lord. He knew that. His conscience was clear with the people. His conscience is clear with himself. He had no fear of any earthly accusation. He had no fear of the return of Christ. And he says, I'm proud of the fact that you people are going to be there. And you guys are proud of the fact that, that I'm going to be there. That we are your reason. We are your reason to be proud as you also are the reason of ours to be proud of you in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He boasts about him in that sense. I have passages there dealing with uh, looking forward to the second coming. First um, Thessalonians two nineteen to twenty Philippians one ten first Second Corinthians and such. How can believers enjoy a clear conscience? First of all, learn God's word, then meditate on God's word, and then watch and pray, because there might be an assault on you from the enemy himself in a spiritual way. Avoid the spiritual pride when you have the victories and you're growing in Christ and you're learning. 
Watch out because Satan will use that bigger than anything on Christians. And then recognize always the seriousness of sin. And recognize how important repentance is because it's all involved with the process of growing in the Lord. What a man, this man of God, Paul, we are to model what he's setting forth. Paul often said, follow me. Christ said, follow me. We're ultimately following Christ. But even a man like Paul, we can follow, we can follow Christ and His Word here. We can be following each other. Hey, you can say, hey, I've been there. Just trust me. Follow me. I'm telling you this. They might say, well, I, know, I already know about that. No, no, listen. I want to tell you. I've been through this. I know where it's at. I'm, I know where we're going. Take somebody else that knows less than you and have them follow you. You say, follow me. You're following the Word. You know, Twitter's got the following. Well, we want to have real following, Right? Nothing was in his personal life. I think you're getting nothing in his relationship with anybody else. There was nothing between him and God. Had caused his conscience to be, in this sense, having a proud confidence. Having this confidence. Proverbs 4:23. We end this with this: Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. This is about life. What God does is come in and bring in life to replace that old dead old stuff that is horrible and terrible. He wants to root it out and bring in life. Constantly flowing. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your words dealing with the conscience. Thank You for the example of Paul using his conscience to defend truth, to defend his lifestyle as he followed what was put forth in his own self. And the Holy Spirit that comes along and empowers the conscience to be able to act upon the things that God has already set forth the way that we are to be. In your Son's name we pray, Amen. Amen.